We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today we're here to break down the early hours of New York Giants free agency 2021. I want to say I'm a little bit surprised just because I thought maybe they'd be doing back-end type stuff, like let the market play out, let everything settle and, and set itself at the certain positions they're interested in targeting, whatever they may be. We had an inkling and an idea that would be offensive line. Turned out to be right. But that wasn't the case. I think they went to their board when Shane got there. They came up with guys that they were already planning to look into for the Bills like during his time with Buffalo and said, we have guys we want to get, and we're going to try to get at least one of them. And they end up getting two of them already. So we're going to talk about the two free agents they've signed already. Some of the free agents they lost because the Giants have lost more than a few, three not key players, I don't want to say, but players who are on their roster and providing some level of value to them. So it's been an interesting 2448-ish hours of the tampering period. Let's start it off, Nick, by just getting your early thoughts on what's transpired with the Giants, with the NFL, with free agency so far. Well, first off, free agency has kind of been wild because the Jacksonville Jags are just kind of going absolutely insane right now, investing so much money into players that are solid but not top tier type of players another thing man i'm sure everybody in the nfl all 31 teams not named jacksonville are just so mad at the jags for giving that contract to christian kirk because there are so many receivers in the league that are better than christian kirk or going to want more money than christian kirk when their time comes but as for the new york giants dude I think it's good. I think this is what we expected, right? This is what we wanted. We knew they weren't going to be players for the Brendan Sheriffs of the world. And we know that they were cap scrapped, but they were still able to add two veterans who I would say are competent. I'm just about done with Feliciano's film. I've watched Glowinski's film. I like Glowinski. I, I want to temper the expectations. We're not adding true difference makers here, but we're adding players who are savvy, players who are crafty. I think Glowinski had a lot more athletic ability than I expected when I went into his tape. And I think that they can both be functional starters. And that's what we need 
for the New York Giants. That's what that offensive line needs. They just need functionality there. They need somebody who's not going to fall flat on their face. They need somebody who's going to be able to pick up a stunt. And I think both of those players are intelligent veterans who are going to help the offensive line room. Yeah, I think you 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 got a good start there. I mean, look, I'm not going to say at some point I want to be the team that does wait and let the market play out and dictate itself and then make your decisions based on that finding value in later days. But I don't think that needed to be the case for this offseason because what we said going into this was, yes, the Giants are a rebuilding team. Me and Nick are well aware of that. We made our mistakes last offseason getting too ahead of ourselves, me, me especially. Um, though we were both pretty high after free agency, something we'll never do again. We'll never make that mistake again because free agency is not where you win. And I knew that, but I just felt like, look, you get Kenny Colladay in there and you get some of these other guys in there, Dory Jackson, like how good could this defense be with a man corner like a Dory? How good could this offense be with the true X? And I just fell for it a little bit, but we know this is not how you win. But at the same time, I don't think you have to go the full extreme and say, you can't sign anybody when you're a rebuilding team that's over the age of X, or you can't sign players that could be win now type players. What we both agreed on before this, me and Nick, and we made this clear on the podcast, is they need to take steps to fix this offensive line as soon as possible, even if they aren't necessarily players that will be part of their long-term future. And I'm not sure either of these players are, Glowinski or Feliciano, especially given Glowinski's age and the fact that the contract was structured almost more like a two-year deal. But it doesn't matter. They need to put a competent line on the field for such a vast variety of reasons. One, there is no tanking in the NFL. The Giants are not a team that's going to do that, and that's not happening. Two, you want to get more of a proper evaluation on your quarterback, your running back, your skill players, your receivers, so you can move that forward to the next offseason. And it's just so impossible to get any kind of evaluation when you have such a bad offensive line. And I don't think these guys are going to necessarily move the needle and make the Giants an elite offensive line, as Nick kind of did a good job explaining their average players, especially. I mean, Glowinski's a little above average. Feliciano, to me, is more just average at best type player. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because we needed something there and we needed some depth. And you brought up a good point on Twitter, Nick, that I wanted to get into next. And that was I made a comment about how going into this free agency, I listed off like five guards on Twitter, like maybe a month or two ago. Glinsky wasn't one of them, though. I do think he can compare to most of them. He may be a little I mean, like, I'm not going to say he's on the Kappa level, but I don't know if Alex, I, I can see why some people think he's a great player. And same with like Lakin Tomlinson, who just to me feels more like an excellent fit for the Jets system and their blocking scheme. And that's kind of why he got such a bigger deal. But having said that, like I made a comment about James Daniels and that's a player who I was targeting and I wanted the Giants to look into in free agency. He's only 24 years old versus Gowinski, who's 30. So there is still room to grow. I love this tape at Iowa, and I feel like he's made a nice transition to the NFL. He is more scheme-dependent and specific than Glowinski, so I think that's important and maybe a factor in why the Giants prefer Glowinski because it's clear the Giants prefer Glowinski over a lot of these guys. They went out, they got him. Yes, they paid a little bit less comparatively, but they went out and they got this guy early. But the point you made, Nick, which I think is a good one, is maybe they just want stability right now. Maybe they just look at it like James Daniels, 24. He has had some bad film. Like his early year, his early transition with the Bears was not pretty. They already know Glowinski's well past that within his career arc. He's gotten to the point where he's going to give you solid serviceable play. And he doesn't really miss many games. He's played, I think, like all but four games in his NFL career. So that thought was an excellent point by you. And I think that's a, if you want to expand on that, maybe you can. But I think the, that side of it was part of the, you know, the factor and why the Giants went out and got a player like him instead of one of these younger guards. 
Well, thank you. And I think that's definitely one reason. And Bobby Johnson, the Giants offensive line coach, spent 2018 in Indianapolis. Familiarity is is a big part of free agency as well. So I think that could have played into it. But as you said, dude, the Giants are looking for competent football players. And I think Daniels is a competent football player for sure. But we kind of spent a lot of this season saying you don't necessarily need those premier top level offensive lineman to have a good offensive line sure that helps but would you rather have one tyron smith and then a bunch of marginal players or would you rather have just a bunch of solid players and a lot of people who i respect and i think you and i are on the same page here as well you'd rather just have a bunch of solid players i think Lewinsky is solid i think feliciano might be a little bit below solid but as i said before functional I think this also gives the Giants a little bit of flexibility going into the draft. They don't have as many pressing needs now because they have people for 2022 that can step in and start. So you don't have to kind of force picks and you can kind of go that BPA route. Now, I'm not referring to the right tackle position because that's still a huge need, but at least at center, if Nick Gates is not there, you have Feliciano and now the right guard position, stamp it in, you have Glowinski and now you can have Lemieux and Bredesen battle it out for the left guard position. Yeah, exactly. What you said is right. And there's, you know, a big school, a big train of thought, a big school of people who are starting to say, look, you look across the NFL and, you know, there's a lot of good examples of it as well. If you just look at some of the recent winners in the NFL, both Super Bowl, and I consider the winners to kind of be that big four at the end of the year, the four teams remaining in the conference championships. That's where I look for tra- trends from because those are the best teams. They made it to that game. They may lose like, you know, and, and sometimes it may just be the, the bounce of a ball or, you know, Frank Clark lining up offsides against Tom Brady and just losing that game because of that or something of that nature. But those are the best teams. And you look at them and you're right. It's more about who's your weakest link on the offense line. And last year, the Giants were made impossible on offense by having multiple guys who were just massive weak links. You look at a Bills team. They didn't have any stars on their offensive line and their offensive line wasn't that good, by the way. Let's be clear about that. I mean, when Greg Cosell and John Schmelk talked about it, they're right. A lot of what was made, a lot of what made happen there in Buffalo was just Josh Allen having the ability to hang back there, stand in the pocket, fall back off it, not off his back foot, but kind of just like off his back base, stand all the way until that pocket breaks down and just deliver a ball with a velo and just rip it into a spot, rip it into a window. Giants don't have a quarterback who can do that. No matter what you think about Daniel Jones, he does not have the capability to do that. Now, it's fair to say most quarterbacks don't have the capability to do that. Josh Allen is like one of maybe four or five, six who can just hang in there on the back foot in the back uh, at the pocket and just rip a ball into a spot, into a tight window, 15 to 20 yards down the or from where the ball's released. That's not something Jones can do, though. So the Giants are going to need competent offensive line to give some time. In my mind, Daniel Jones is really only going to see his, uh, his best play with, an, with a borderline elite offensive line, Nick. And I'm curious to get your take on that. But for me, I do. And it's not saying oh my God, the Giants are screwing up because there's nothing they can do to build a borderline elite line in one offseason. That's not how this works. They need to just make it competent for now with an eye toward the future if they're going to invest around Jones, in my mind, toward an elite offense line. So I am curious about that because I do think they have one borderline potentially elite piece already in Andrew Thomas and the chance, the opportunity to maybe get the second borderline elite piece this draft at five or seven overall. But I wanted to get your take on that. Let's say the Giants do decide to move forward with Daniel Jones. Do you believe he's a quarterback who can can succeed with an average offensive line? I think it's hard to say because we haven't seen him, other than his rookie season, in an offense that wasn't a Jason Garrett-led offense. And 
competent is a huge step forward for Daniel Jones in terms of the offensive line play that was in front of him because the offensive line for the Giants has been a bottom three unit the last two seasons. Maybe a little bit better than that in 2020. They were good at run blocking, but they were terrible in pass protection. So I think competent is still such a big step forward that we can see Daniel Jones take such a big step forward. Now, with that said, if we're looking at it and comparing him to some of these top quarterbacks in the league, I don't think that's ever going to be possible in any realm or in any situation because he doesn't have those physical traits. Can he be a solid serviceable starter? Yes, I do believe he could be a solid serviceable starter behind a competent offensive line though. Yeah, but the yeah, and I think that's fair. I think he can be a solid serviceable starter. I just don't want that. I have just no yeah. no interest whatsoever in a solid serviceable starter because there, you don't get to keep those solid serviceable starters yeah. uh, for four, you know, at eight million a year. You have to pay them the twenty-five million a year or whatever it would cost. So let's say the Giants Jones surprise people next year. The offensive line is competent and he looks a lot better. And they do, and you know, Dak gets some injuries on their offensive line with Dallas and some injuries in the defense. Philly isn't good. Washington isn't good. And then the Giants win the division. Well, then you might be seeing a $25, $30 million contract for Daniel Jones. And that's when I get to the point of how do you build around? Because we're not going to be able to make that decision. That's what a decision the Giants organization is going to have to make. And we already know that John Mara loves Daniel Jones and loves Mm -hmm. his work ethic. And everyone in that building loves him on a personal level, football aside. So if he takes him to the playoffs and he wins that division, he very well may get that contract. So that's kind of what I'm focused on. Say he gets the contract. I almost feel like at that point, they'll need to start looking at it like how I wish they looked at it with Eli, to be completely honest, even though they're different prospects, which is Eli doesn't need name brand receivers. Just get him the offensive line. And I feel like Jones is very similar in that regard because Jones, to, to me, can do a lot better when uh, when we you know when he just knows and he has the confidence in his offensive line to hold up. Yeah, man. Shield Capati, I think he works for The Athletic. He comes out with something every season talking about kind of rules – for how to build teams, it's something like that. But one of his rules this offseason is don't pay up for competent quarterback play. Like you need to find a way to get one of these true difference makers because the modern NFL, a lot of teams, specifically in the AFC, have true difference making type of quarterbacks. And if you sit there and you allocate a big portion of your cap to somebody who is not a true difference maker at that position, then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. And it reminded me a lot of what you've been saying for quite a long time. And it is 100% accurate. Do you want to give a huge part of your cap to a Kirk Cousins, to a Daniel Jones, or do you want to kind of take kicks at the can and hope to land a Justin Herbert? I think the only flaw in that is those players are limited. There's no certainty that those players are going to keep coming out of the draft, the Justin Herberts and the Joe Burrows and the Patrick Mahomes. But eventually there's going to be somebody. So I thought... When I heard that from Shioka Patti, I thought of you initially, right off the bat. I was like, God damn, I'd love this take. Yeah, I do love that take. And, I, and, you know, I obviously stand by it. He's right in my mind. I mean, there's countless examples, but the best one is the Vikings, who have drafted really well. They've hit on a lot of their draft picks. They nailed Brian O'Neill. You don't find Brian O'Neill types at that range of the draft, at that position. You don't find Justin Jefferson types all the time. That's like an Odell Beckham level pick by them. And the list goes on and on. They nailed Daniel Hunter in the fourth round. You never find that kind of production at edge in the fourth round. And despite all of their hits in the draft and all of the money they spent in free agency to kind of supplement that, going all the way against the cap, pushing cap hits back. They're one of the, you know, they're on that Eagles, uh, not Eagles anymore because they've kind of cleared it out, but that Saints Chiefs range of just uh, backloading cap and kind of, uh, you know, borrowing from the borrowing from future years to get now. And no matter what, all of they've done, they didn't get anywhere with Cousins. And 
as of now, Daniel Jones is not even nowhere close to as good as a quarterback as Cousins. If you watch the film, he's nowhere close to as good as a quarterback, if you're being honest and taking away the Giants' glasses. So say he gets that level this year. That's his ceiling, right? Or he gets that level. Well, then you have that same decision that the Vikings were faced with. Um, or the Vikings weren't even that team the Washington was faced with, and then they kind of tagged him. I would be okay with that. That would be my ideal goal. If the Giants do make the playoffs, my ideal goal would be to franchise tag Daniel Jones. We're looking way ahead of ourselves here. We're supposed to be talking about free agency, but I just wanted to get into this kind of like 30,000 foot view discussion of where the offensive line is headed and how it impacts the quarterback play. Because obviously, like you said, and I agree with, that's everything, man. The quarterback is everything, and they need to get that right first in my mind. Not first, but foremost, I should say. Nothing really matters unless that's right. So anyway, back to the, the decisions to sign Glowinski and to sign Feliciano. I wanted to get your thoughts early on the film you've seen of these two players. Let's start with the bigger one. Let's start with the guaranteed starter, though we do, do both believe Feliciano has a good chance to start at center in 2022. We know Mark Glowinski was signed to that size deal to start specifically and probably at right guard. Yeah, I think he's going to be the starting right guard for the New York Giants. So like I said before, this is somebody he's going to be 30 years old at the start of this season. I didn't expect as good of an athlete as what I saw on tape. I think he's a pretty athletic dude. He's much better as a run blocker than he is in pass protection. But if you need him to reach block somebody who is a couple gaps over, he has the foot speed and the ability to do so. I think he does a good job kind of sinking his weight into contact when moving laterally. And then he has really good hip mobility to just flip his hips and seal and create a crease for the running back. I was pretty surprised by that aspect of his game as a run blocker. In pass protection, he comes off the ball low. I feel like his pad level consistently rises as the rep goes on. He doesn't necessarily do the best job getting his hands inside, although I feel like his hand fighting is solid overall. His anchor gives me a little bit of pause. I feel like he gets pushed back a little bit too much for for my liking. And the two sacks that he surrendered were both stunts, but generally speaking, I thought he did a really good job kind of locating potential blitzers pre-snap and then keeping his eyes open for them coming while he's in contact with somebody else. I feel like he's a pretty aware player. He's a smart player. He's a savvy player. And I'm generally, I don't want to say excited about this addition, but I like this addition. I just don't think he's necessarily somebody who's going to step in and be a really good pass protector, which is going to give a lot of Giants fans pause, rightfully so, because the Giants have just seen guard after guard after guard that was poor in pass protection. You look at Glowinski's PFS stats. He surrendered 38 pressures last year. 31 the year prior, 42 the year before that, all for Indianapolis. And that's not great from a PFF standpoint. You watch the film, you could see how he's getting pushed back a little bit, how he struggles with long arm power moves, how he struggles with the bull rush. So power rushers gave him a little bit of fits. But I do feel like he anchors down well, and he also sustains the block well, despite the fact that he's kind of getting pushed back into the pocket. Once he gets his hands on the defender, he has good grip strength to kind of hold them in place and he's locked inside elbows tight. So he's not, you know, going to get flags. He's not going to get that laundry thrown at him. He only had two penalties last season. So overall pass protection isn't his strength, but I do think it's not a huge liability either. And it's a step up from, let's say even a Will Hernandez last year, or possibly a Shane Lemieux from 2020. It's definitely a big step up from those guys. And as a run blocker, I think He's better probably than both of them. Shane Lemieux was a good run blocker in 2020, but I feel like there's more of an athletic upside with Glowinski, despite the fact that he's going to be 30 at the start of the season. Yeah, I think those takes are spot on. One of the two things that stood out to me from Glowinski is one, like you said, 
anchor a couple questions with that and i don't think it's it's almost kind of like reminded me and this is not a comparison at all of the two players but just kind of just because i saw it recently i've been watching him recently and that would be kind of what i saw with charles cross to the point where like he can get pushed back but he doesn't get but in while he'll give up ground he doesn't always lose the rep despite giving up ground and that to me is kind of fine it's not great but it's fine and you can deal with that and you can win with that and the other thing that i liked that i noticed was like you said a little bit more athleticism in the run game than expected. Success in the run game, consistency, I thought, in the run game, but I'll get I'll defer to you. You've watched more of his tape. And I think versatility is probably the word I would use for his run game. Like you said, Lemieux, what can be argued as having a pretty solid season from run blocking standpoint, but it felt very like one way. It felt like when he's pulling and when he's used on these power gaps uh, in, the, in a power gap concept, he's doing a good job. They like him as a puller. But and he was okay at the point of attack. I'm not saying he was bad, but I feel like the athleticism and the versatility to Glunsky's game as a run blocker is definitely going to help the Giants, especially if they're able to get one, two, maybe three. I mean, I want as many as three, but I'm okay with one or two, uh, preferably two tight ends who can be assets in the blocking game, tight ends who can help at the line of scrimmage or, you know, used as Caden Smith was on some of those concepts. So I do think that he brings some versatility to their run game as well. He does. Indianapolis had a pretty diverse rushing attack. They would use outside zone. They would use inside zone. They would use man duo type of concepts. And I felt like Lewinsky also did an excellent job on combo blocks, really understood positioning, framing of the block and when to come off and climb if he was the climber or to get his hip in the position to cut off the angle of the defender and allow his teammate, whether that be the center of the tackle, to climb. When you are fluid with your lower body, your hips, and you are quick footed, and as long as you're not marginal with your play strength, that's going to help you. It's going to help you in the run game. And I felt like Glowinski has that. He possesses that. I actually broke down Glowinski on YouTube for Big Blue View. If you guys want to go over to Big Blue View and check that out. I did about a 30-minute video on a bunch of his reps from 2021. I feel like this is a solid addition. This is exactly what the Giants needed. I don't want to, I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves, but like we said. <laughs> The offensive line was so low for so long that additions like Gowinski and even Feliciano are are going to help this unit. Now, I, I still think there's a lot of work to do with this unit. And as you said, this might not be a long-term solution. But as for 2022, Mark Lewinsky at that price, not something too ridiculous. I, I think it's a, a solid addition. It's exactly what the Giants needed. Yeah, and just speaking at it from kind of the 30,000-foot view as well, Nick, well, again, I want to eventually be the team that does wait for the second and third wave and plays it like the Ravens do by just mostly signing only players who were cut. Like, for example, like J.C. Treader was cut by the Browns. He said, I think he's still a pretty solid player. It might have been in the Giants' better interest to go ahead and sign J.C. Treader once he was cut because it doesn't count against the, the um, comp pick formula instead of a Feliciano, let's say. But that's neither here or there. I'm not saying these are definite things. Same thing with James Daniels. You know, these aren't guarantees. I think and, you're right though. With with Treader, like he's a good player, man, and he, he's 31 years old, so it's comparable age wise. I'm curious to see what he gets on the market because he was in a great system with surrounded by talent, surrounded by one of the best guards in Wyatt Teller. But he's from every all the Browns film that I've watched, which isn't a lot, but when they do play the Giants, like I have always come away impressed with Treader. Really impressive, Treader. And I spoke with Jake Burns who uh, before, and I think it was the preseason when the Giants played the Browns, and he was singing praises of J.C. Treader. I'll, I'll, I'll Treader, I'll remember that. Like he's like he's the glue that keeps this together, and he does, and he plays a really big role in this. So, you know, you can't you can't foresee those things. The Giants couldn't have foreseen him being cut, but eventually, I do want to kind of become that team 
the Ravens type team. Cause I, I'm sure like if the Ravens, I'm sure they don't, I don't know if the Ravens need a center right now, but if they did, I could see them scooping him up easy. You know, the Patriots, if they needed a center, they don't, I don't think, but they could scoop up a player like they usually, that's the move. You know, you wait for those cut guys that for whatever reason they're cut because of cat purposes. And I think the Browns are gearing up to do a bunch of things. They might even try to uh, make the trade for Deshaun Watson where they'll need a ton of cap space, but. You know, you eventually want the Giants to be that team that's taking advantage of the market inefficiencies, and that is it. Like, signing cut players is the market inefficiency in free agency because it doesn't count against your comp pick formula. The Giants are building up a bit of a comp pick formula, which we'll talk about in a little bit, by the way. We talk about the three players they lost, all to decently sized contracts. And so eventually they can be that, but I will say this, Nick. I am enthused on a 30,000-foot view by the overall process of saying, look, we can't wait with the offensive line. We are in dire mode. Alert, alert, alert. Sound the alarm that should have been sounded last year around this exact time because that was time for the alarm to be sounded. It wasn't. For whatever reason, Gettleman and Judge did not sound that alarm whatsoever last offseason around this time. They didn't sign a single important player in frequency on the offensive line. They didn't draft a single important player on the offensive line either. They just said, F it. We got our guys. We got our young guys. We like them clearly more than you do. And it didn't work out. And now is the time to sound the alarm. And they are sounding it. So I can't get mad at them for not being patient this specific offseason on the offensive. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, no, it had to be something. And like we said, too, adding these players give the Giants a little bit more flexibility during the draft. Exactly. So I think that's important because we don't want the Giants to, to reach during the draft. They feel necessary to add an offensive guard who might not be as good as, say, a cornerback or something. And then they overdraft and he ends up being a bust. And then we're like, well, what the heck are we doing? It's not the great way to rebound, rebrand and rebuild your roster. And that's exactly what Shane and Dable want to do. And let me ask you this before I get to your evaluation of some of the film you've seen on John Feliciano, because I know you're putting that up on Big Blue View soon, or it's already up. I want to ask you this, because you mentioned this earlier, and the Giants have had issues with this in the past. And that is the combination of coaching hubris and familiarity. We've seen this be an issue during the Pat Shermer era, when he hired Hal Hunter to be the offensive line coach. We've seen this be an issue during the Joe Judge era, when he hired Jason Garrett, who hired Colombo, and then they brought in Joe Looney because he had familiarity. Are you at all concerned with decisions like signing a player like John Feliciano because you may feel like, because they may feel like, meh, we know him. We think, we think we have a better idea of what he is. We like him as a human being versus what he can put on the field. Or are you just thinking like, you know, Yes, that could be in play, but there's also another thing that could that we're not considering, which is he knows the system ready, his transition will be smoother, and there'll be less bumps. 
Yeah, I think more of the latter, to be honest. I think it's, I think when you are in this position and we're all humans, right? Humans have biases. We, we all have biases towards people, towards everything. But if you can try to separate those biases and make the tough decisions and add people that you truly believe will add value to your offensive line room or whatever it be, then I feel like going ahead and signing a John Feliciano is is a smooth move, is a good move. And it all depends on the money as well. You don't want to allocate too much money towards them. But if it's not a lot, then I'm fine with that. I, I think this is a people business as much as anything else, the NFL. It's all about relationships. And if you have a relationship established with somebody and you know their work ethic and you know they'll fit into your culture and they know your playbook, then I think you go out and you pursue, pursue that. doesn't mean it's always going to work out, but there are other examples from around the NFL and in the history of NFL of that working out. It just seems like for the Giants recently, it hasn't worked out. Now, the Hal Hunter situation, that was one where we were pushing back on Hal Hunter the entire time during 2019. It was very obvious that that guy wasn't a great offensive line coach. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But in terms of the players, I'm okay with that as long as you're – as long as those people making the decisions are making the right decisions and the fact that they're not allowing their relationship to cloud their judgment. And I'm not 100% certain if Gettleman was that kind of guy, even though he was shrewd at times. But he wasn't necessarily a general manager that made the best decisions (laughs) in his time as the general manager. Yeah, no doubt. He actually made some of the worst decisions in the history of the NFL. It was one of the worst four-year runs by a general manager ever. Objectively speaking, this is not me being a hater. It's not me being a homer. You look at across the NFL, as teams, analysts, and, and fans of 31 other teams, they will tell you that. There's a reason they will tell you that. And now Trent Baalke has thankfully taken that mantle, and he's dismantling <laughs> the future of that Jaguars team. And potentially, you know, hair-brained idea here, Nick, galaxy brain idea, but I got this one little inkling for the miracle scenario, which is <laughs> just hear me out here because it's fun Jeez. to talk about. I have a feeling you, I know what you're going to say. You know where I'm going with this, right? The miracle I scenario, so. which is he built such a bad roster there that Trevor Lawrence and his camp have had enough and they force and demand a trade. And guess who's sitting there after trading back one more time this year from seven to get another first round pick? Guess who's sitting there with two first round picks, one being in the top five again? Oh, yeah, it's the New York football Giants, baby. They're coming for Trevor Lawrence with two first-rounders, a future first in the next draft. Give him whatever the fuck they want. I don't care. We can fix this guy. He doesn't need fixing. He just needs competency around him, and Trent Baalke is certainly not going to give him that. So that's a harebrained idea. It's a galaxy brain idea. It's something that's never going to happen, but I can hope. I can sit here, and I can hope. Hey, I appreciate the fact that you're hoping for that. That would be quite awesome. Jacksonville wouldn't want to trade him in the conference, so they would send him to the NFC. You know, no conflict of interest there. Doug Peterson. hire Tom Coughlin to be like an arbiter. Like, get in here, Tom. (laughs) You know, you have experience in both organizations. Come help us make this a possibility. Oh, that would be that would be quite awesome to be honest. They could have I for one am nowhere close to having given up on Lawrence. And it's funny because I see a lot of people are already giving up on him. A lot of people are already talking trash about him. I saw someone say, now he has everything he needs to succeed. I'm like, what? Everything he needs to succeed? Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, and, and a crappy offensive line that got one good player is everything they need to succeed. Wow. That's a we have different definitions clearly of everything a quarterback needs to succeed. Yeah, no, that's that's a wild take right there. But I will say, I think Doug Peterson is a good step in the right direction. Yes. But will Peterson and Balky be able to work extensively? Because Peterson had troubles with Howie Roseman, and Balky is much more of a um, personality, I feel like, than even yeah. Roseman. And Roseman's a pretty big personality. Idiot so. personality, Balky. 
literally <laughs> a, jo- a joke. It's amazing how bad the NFL is that he could have been hired again after such a poor job that he did in San Francisco. It's actually just wild to me that they viewed that situation as we don't have anyone else we can bring in as a general manager right now. Just crazy stuff to me. There's 32 teams. This is the most co- one of the most coveted jobs. How the hell does Balky get another job? And like no you idea. could say, people could say the same about Gettleman, but it's not true. Gettleman actually did a solid job in Carolina. Yes, he inherited the two most important pieces in Cam Newton and Luke Keekley. The, the two basic pieces that led him to the Super Bowl. They're almost everything to both sides of the ball. But he did make some really good picks, and he didn't do it. He didn't do things like this. He's not. He didn't bulky it there. He bulkied it with the Giants, but he didn't bulky it there. So, and I'm going to use that as a verb now, bulkying it. So, there we go. There it is. Back to the Giants. Let's get into a little bit of what you saw from potential starting center John Feliciano while watching the tape. So Feliciano, I, I wouldn't say he's as competent as Glowinski. I think as a run blocker, he's mean, right? But I don't think he has that type of lateral agility and change of direction to have success on those outside zone type of run plays. Because when the Bills did run those type types of plays, he wasn't necessarily getting to that outside shoulder. He wasn't getting his hips across the hips of the defender. And there were times where he would lean a little bit too far and then get tossed to the ground on those plays where he was moving laterally. I think he's somebody who's always going to fight with his hands from what I've seen. Doesn't necessarily make the initial contact and just stick, but he's constantly has active hands and keeping his hands moving to keep his own chest clean. That's as a run blocker and as a pass checker. If he can get his hands inside as a run blocker, then he's going to use the grip strength to reduce space and hold the defender from being able to separate. But I don't feel like he does that as successfully as, say, a Glowinski. In pass protection, the athletic ability isn't great. The anchor can get pushed back. I watched the Pittsburgh game from 2021 when he was the guard, and it was bad. Cam Hayward had his way with him. But I appreciated that he had this sort of aggressiveness to him and this ability to adjust mid-play that if – a defender were to double punch and try to go with that bull rush right off the snap. He timed the snatch and trap really well. So snatch and trap when you're an offensive lineman is when a defender kind of lunges at you right off the snap and you hit both of their arms downward. So their momentum that's initially going forward is going to start heading towards the floor. So that's the snatch part. And then you trap them. You just fall right on top of them and you just lay on top of them. And I felt like he employed that at least four or five times on tape that I've seen so far. So that's something that's, in his wheelhouse. I thought he was pretty smart. I I would say on stunts as well. It wasn't like he was getting fooled all that often. I put up a little clip. It was just one play of him picking up a blitz. seems like he had eyes in the back of his head. It was coming right into the a gap and he kind of turned off of his inside foot and picked the guy up and nailed him. It was a defensive back. So the guy ended up going flying overall, not done with his film yet. Overall, I think he's an adequate player. I think he's a player that you're probably going to look to replace eventually, but he's somebody that, would be an upgrade over everybody not named Nick Gates from last year. I think he is probably an upgrade over Billy Price. It's not Stark, but it's an upgrade. I think Nick Gates is probably a better player, I would say, overall than John Feliciano right now. Feliciano is 30 years old, let's be fair. But I think his addition adds a little bit more competency than what the Giants had before they added him. Competency, depth, all things the Giants need. And I think, and it's possible, we'll find out later on, obviously, the idea of going after Feliciano type, who believes that, you know, he hasn't had the opportunity, a fair opportunity, fair shake. I don't want to say fair. That's not the right word, but a solid, whatever the word would be, 
opportunity to prove himself that he belongs in one of the starting 32 centers in the NFL. There's a possibility that instead of doing going at, after guys like JC Treader and some of these guaranteed lock it in starters, good players who have really good tape in their past that they believed Gates is further along than we know of. I'm not saying this is the case by the way, Nick, but it's possible further along in his recovery than we know of. And they potentially have some kind of date in mind for where he returns to the field. And they have confidence that he can be the same player he was, and they don't want to draft over him, sign over him because of those things. I don't know if that's the case. Again, who knows where Gates is at in his recovery. We have to remember when it comes to Gates, this is not a torn ACL. This is not even a torn Achilles. This was a devastating knee injury to the likes of what Alex Smith suffered. And it took Alex Smith so long to get back on the field. Now they're different positions, quarterback and offensive line. But my guess would be it's at least as hard, if not harder, to come back from that type of injury as an offensive lineman as is a quarterback. I don't know for sure. It's just a guess. But it's at least possible, Nick, that I think they have an eye toward the future with Gates right now. I hope, to be honest. I think Gates is better than Feliciano, and Gates has a lot of upside. I think Feliciano just needs to maintain positive positioning, play the full man on the defenders, because when he allows the defender to get to the half man, usually by a power move, whether that be a club, the double swipe, and then try to get skinny around the edge of him, he doesn't always bring his feet with him to, to redirect and redistribute his weight once the half-man relationship is established by the defender. And that just gives the defender the ability to either rip underneath, swim over the top, and then create separation and run at the quarterback who is generally in the pocket at that point. So if he can be more consistent, which I don't feel like he did a poor job at this, just framing his block and staying in front and playing the full man all of the time, then I feel like he's going to be in a better position and Daniel Jones will be in a better position. But once that defender gets to the half-man, he doesn't do the best job redirecting himself there are times where he was able to save himself and recover and explode off his feet and then just drive the use play strength to drive the defender you know away from that path it's not something that i felt like he consistently had success with so you we just need him to be better framing the block yeah that's fair and those are you know you're not you're not signing a perfect players so i don't think any of us had that expectation to anyway to get that type of player anyway from here but we're getting competency there and i think that's something excuse me, that can be valuable for the Giants moving forward. They haven't made any other signings that we know of as of yet, as of time of this recording, which in my mind is also fine. We want that to be the case. We want them to wait and be patient. I personally prefer at this point, Nick, if most, if not all of the players they sign, with the exception of my dream signing. And you know who my dream signing is? It's the funniest player to have a dream signing of. Have, have you seen enough of my tweets to know? Um, I don't know if I have. Is it somebody who was a free agent going in or somebody who was just released? Well, I was just going to say, for the most part, moving forward, I do want the Giants to only sign players who were cut because they have a really good chance to get comp picks back based on the players they've lost already. But this is not one of those players. And this is a player coming off an ACL. So I think that makes him even more of a value play. And let's see. Have you seen have you seen any of the tweets? I guess not. Right. No, I haven't. Hint his dad. His dad used to play for the Giants. Okay, so his old man used to play for the Giants, and he tore his ACL last year. And that's he's not at a position of massive need. Position of massive need? Is it a tight end? Yes. Uh, I'm not. I'm probably not gonna come up with it on the okay. spot. It's a former Golden Gopher, and that's Max. Oh, okay. Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who it is. Max. Love Williams. me some Max Williams. He's like my number one priority going into free agency. Because I figured they get they get offensive line help regardless. So I didn't really have I mean I had specific guys there, but I was okay with the direction they went. But Max Williams, man, 
I want him on this Giants roster ASAP. He's one of the best run blocking tight ends in the NFL. He's one of the best in-line guys at from a blocking standpoint in the NFL. I think those guys are insanely rare to find at this point. Most of the tight ends I watch on tape suck at blocking. Like It's wild how many of them are just not good at all at blocking. And so Max Williams, who's proven himself as one of the best run blocking tight ends in the NFL, I think he has untapped potential and upside as a receiver. We saw a little bit of that at the early, at the early part of the season this year before he got the injury and before they traded for Zach Ertz. He was starting to get utilized as a receiver. I saw a lot of it at Minnesota. He's not the burner from a straight line standpoint, but he has good movement skills and can be an underrated receiver. And I think he'd be awesome for the Giants to have at the end of that line of scrimmage, just a true wide to finally put at the end of that line of scrimmage and just have competency both on run plays. And he's less of a pass blocker, but that doesn't matter. You don't need him for that. Um, and so Max Williams is my boy. But besides that, I am looking for them to mostly go to the direction of players cut. And that could be also at the tight end position as well. I would love Max Williams, man. That would be such a quality signing for the Giants that could come at a discount. I'm wondering if they're going to allow him to leave the desert. And I know they signed Zach Ertz, but now that Christian Kirk is gone from Arizona, they could transition to maybe a little bit more 12 personnel. I think that's really odd to think about because you think about Cliff Kingsbury and a lot of four receivers, a lot of 10 personnel. But when they acquired Zach Ertz, they were using Zach Ertz as a big slot. Max Williams, I think, would be really important to the rushing attack that they're going to be committed to now that they have James Conner there on a three-year deal. So I'm uh, curious to see if they bring Max Williams back after signing Zach Ertz. Yeah, without a doubt. And we'll see what happens there. But let's transition a little bit to the players the Giants lost. We'll start with the name brand, the highest name brand guy, and that's Evan Ingram. Um, any surprise at one, the fact that he didn't resign with the Giants, two, the team that decided to sign him, or three, how much he got paid? No, no surprise with him not coming back to the Giants. And Jacksonville is just on a spending spree. It's a little odd that Jacksonville has LaVisca Chenault, they sign Christian Kirk. They have Dan Arnold, they sign Evan Ingram. So what they're doing is a little strange, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> I think I think a $9 million deal, that was probably more than what I anticipated. But what did we always say about Evan Ingram? He's an excellent athlete, and there's going to be a team that's going to fall in love with his athletic ability. I don't think he's a well-rounded tight end. I think he's a marginal blocker who tries really hard. I think he's a great guy, a great locker room guy. But when you struggle to catch the football and you don't run precise routes, you have a capped upside there. But, you know, good for him, man. And I hope he proves it this year. I hope he has a solid season and gets like a three-year deal and, and makes, you know, generational money for himself. But I'm not shocked whatsoever that he's not a New York Giant. His time here was over just like Will Hernandez's is. Yeah, Ingram for me, not shocked, not surprised, not even surprised by the deal. Like This is just a good example of like what draft pedigree and straight line speed can do for you. I mean, he's had a pretty bad career for the Giants for the most part. Again, some of that, which I'm sure the Jaguars are pinning to is that it's based on the dysfunction of the Giants franchise and the Giants offense and the Giants coordination of the offense and the Giants quarterback play, which no one but some Giants fans think has been any good. And the Giants offensive line play, which I'm sure everybody thinks has been bad. And I get that, but I feel like I've seen enough Ingram tape to know that you can put those things aside. I feel like those things can often be used as crutches in evaluation of players, the what they don't have rather than what they have and what they're putting on tape and what Ingram has and what he's put on tape is not natural hands, not a great ability to adjust in the air, not a great ability to high point catches, not strong hands at the, at the contact point in addition to not having natural hands and not a great ability to cut on a 90 degree angle. 
And those are five, four or five traits that make it really difficult for you to break out with another team in spite of how bad things have been around you for your first team. And the Jaguars obviously don't agree with that. They don't see that. And we'll see what happens with Ingram, how he'll be used in Peterson's system. I mean, look, Peterson has gotten a lot out of tight ends over mm-hmm. his career as a coach. And so I will not be surprised if he gets uh, if he's productive. I won't be. But even if he is productive on the box score stats, Nick, I think a different case, a longer and larger story will be told on the film. And on the film, he'll always be that same frame based liability as a blocker. And so what really is he? Is he a big slot for the Jaguars? Possibly. But I don't know exactly if he even has that skill set because, again, he's not great at cutting 90-degree angles, not natural hands, all the things we already discussed. (laughs) Do you remember how we described Evan Ingram catching the football? Oh, yeah. You described it as like your mom, right? No, 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 well, well, yeah, that, but no, like it's a gator job. So he just wanted to be close oh, to it's like a gator. Yeah, it is a gator job. <laughs> I don't know who taught him to catch like that? It's a wild way that he, like, it, it's so, it's just weird. Yeah, it's it's a very weird way to try to fit the football into your hands when it's coming at you at obscene speeds most of right. the time. Exactly. Even with Jones as a quarterback. And Lawrence is going to rip that ball too. So we'll see what happens there. But that one didn't surprise me. I'm not surprised, but I will say Keon Cross had getting a hell of a deal for special teams ace. That was interesting to see. I think it was three or 15 or up to 15. So that was interesting. The Giants will have to cycle in new guys there anyway. And then finally, Austin Johnson, our boy, the guy who was made our, we do, obviously, for those who don't know, some of you do, but we do film breakdowns of every game every week for the New York Giants on all 22 coaches film, offense and defense. And I can't even tell you, not by memory, but I there were so many times where he was the unheralded player on film. There were so many times where you're like, Austin Johnson looks good on the tape. And it's crazy because that was the same case for BJ Hill, who kind of broke out in some ways with the Bengals, especially during their Super Bowl run. But Austin Johnson was one of them. And clearly another team saw that film, liked Austin Johnson, was like, we're going to give him a sizable deal. Yeah, and I'm not overly shocked by it, to be honest. And the Chargers, their biggest liability this season was the fact that they just could not stop the run. And they go out and they add Austin Johnson two years. Sebastian Joseph Day is another solid run defender who was with the Rams. He was signed to a three-year, $24 million deal. And they pick at 17, and a lot of people think they could be going after Jordan Davis. Not 100% sure if they will now, but I still think it's something they had to address, which they are doing right now. And I wouldn't be overly shocked if they brought in Jordan Davis, and that's going to really assist Brandon Staley to do whatever he wants on the back end of that defense when you can just fundamentally change the framework of your defense by adding an incredible player like Jordan Davis. And now you have a deep rotation, so you can rotate him out in certain situations. I think Austin Johnson is a solid player, played well for the Giants for two seasons, and I'm glad he got his bag, and it also helps the Giants' compensatory formula. Yeah, exactly. There, Right now, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers on it, especially because the Glowinski deal is going to work its way into that. But I think they should at this point be receiving like a fourth or fifth uh, comp pick. And I think it's mostly based on the Evan Ingram size of the Evan Ingram contract. So yeah, I think I think that's what I heard too. There's somebody right. on, and I don't have his name, and I'm sorry, but there's somebody on Twitter who is like an expert with that kind. He of nails stuff. them. I know who you're talking about. I don't have his name either, so we have we can't. Neither of us can give the shout out. But look, he's like an over the cap guy, right? I think so, yeah. And he, uh, I believe he said that the Glowinski and Johnson contract will cancel each other out, so they'll still get a compensatory pick for the Ingram contract. There you go. So good. I'm not an expert with it at all. But I did want to bring up one more thing too, man, because we talked about the Dexter Lawrence picking up the fifth-year option. Has that changed for you at all with 
BJ Hill getting 10 million a year and Foley Fatukasi, who, who is a true two down run stuffer who ended up getting 10 million, which I feel like is overpaying, even though I'm a huge Foley Fatukasi fan. Anybody who listens to the podcast every time the Jets come up, I always sing his praises because he's one of the best run defenders in the league. But has your opinion changed at all be because of the defensive line contracts that we saw through the first day of free agency? Nick, look, as I've always said, I'd be a bad analyst if I just take locked every opinion I had and never changed it based on the context and the circumstances that are extenuating. And here, as you bring up, man, the market has changed, right? Like my, my take has always been that there's a, there's a gluttony, a glutton, or, you know, a lot of interior defensive line that you can find in that day three range that can do the job of a two down guy. Not necessarily like a Dexter Lawrence, but like even like a, you know, Dalvin or, or Linville, though no one can really do it at those levels. I get that. But the takes have to change when the market is dictating that they do. And the market currently is dictating that people are paying money for these guys. And if you can get Dexter Lawrence on that almost franchise tag esque type of deal, and that's not what it is, but it's essentially a franchise tag, a cheaper franchise tag. If you give him that fifth year rookie option, I think you have to especially after losing Austin Johnson, especially after losing Dalvin Tomlinson, especially after losing BJ Hill. It's not like they're, and I don't want them to have to reflood the interior defensive line with high draft picks. That's, that's the last thing I want them to have to do is go back to the well and make those, uh, you know, use those key assets in the draft for these types of two down run stuffing type players. And I know Dexter Lawrence is not that he's not a full two down player, but at the same time, He's not a Jeffrey Simmons, and he's not an Aaron Donald. He's not impacting the quarterback every time he's on the field as a pass rusher. That's the reality of the situation. So, yeah, my opinion has changed, and I'm at the I'm at the point of where like I'm almost 90, 95% sure I would pick up that option. It's wild, too, because I didn't expect B.J. Hill to get $10 million a year, and I like B.J. Hill. I think Dexter Lawrence is a better player than B.J. Hill, but I, I think he was a, a – pretty key part of the rotation of the defensive line for Lou Anarumo in that Bengals defense. It just went to the Super Bowl, but I was expecting maybe seven and a half, eight. And then I saw 10 and I was like, okay, there you go, BJ Hill. I'm, I'm happy for him. And once again, the Giants ended up getting fleeced because they backed themselves into a corner and got incredibly desperate because of injuries, but also because they did not address that offensive line last offseason. Zach Fult and Joe Looney, Looney, that is not enough. Neither were there once preseason came around and then they just totally neglected their biggest liability in the draft. And that was just inexcusable in my opinion. Without a doubt. And it is what it is. I don't want to so I'm happy you were the one to say it, Nick, because it seems like I'm typically billed as the DG hater, the Dave Gettleman hater, the Dave Gettleman. I can't let it go. So it's nice to have you step in here and kind of take the but, it, like, but the thing is, man, we were saying that last I know. week. Like we said it like th this is the thing, like, and you, and you were talking a little bit earlier in, in the podcast about how we were, had high hopes for the season. Yes, we felt solid about the additions, but we said they have to be right about their ability to groom this young talent. They have to be right about that. And if they're not, the season's going to be a disaster. And that's exactly what happened. They were totally wrong with the hubris that you brought up before. And the season ended up being a disaster because the offensive line couldn't protect Daniel Jones. Yep, exactly. And we're hoping that's not the case. They've already taken some really good steps, I think, especially Golinski. Like, I don't know as much. I don't want to be too rose-colored glasses, blue rose-colored glasses with Feliciano, though I do in general just like all offensive line signings at the time of the signing. But I've seen enough of Golinski. 
to know that he's going to be, and I love the fact that he doesn't miss games. He's going to be some version of stability on that offensive line, a line that desperately needs any version of stability you can get outside of Thomas. There's only one stable person right now that we can count on. Like, you know, people are like, oh, Matt Parrott's under contract. He's still cheap. Shane Lemieux's coming back. It's like, well, Shane Lemieux had a ton of unstable tape in his rookie season, and Matt Parrott had a ton of unstable tape in all of his snaps with the Giants. You need stability. And right now, I feel like the Giants finally have two stable pieces on that line. I know he's not a long-term fixture, Golinski. He's 30 years old. But goddamn, I'll be I'll be goddamned if I'm not happy to get to three, maybe four stable pieces. Or maybe it's just three if they sign one more. And then two upside guys, like the fifth overall pick and whatever they take in round two or three on the offensive line. To kind of just you know get us to a point where we have two, maybe three stable pieces and then two upside plays. I think that's awesome. The Giants could land an Icky or a Neal at five, and then you invest, like you said, maybe the third round pick or maybe just a fourth and a sixth or a fifth round pick into an interior offensive lineman, you know, a a Cam Juergens from Nebraska, Luke Fortner from Kentucky, a, a player like that then I feel much better about the current state of the offense. And every Giant fan would, obviously, with the addition of a young right tackle. But we've been talking about it for years, man. This offensive line needs to be fixed. And like you said just a little bit ago, this is the the start of it. And I feel like it's a solid start. Yeah, without a doubt. And so that's where we're at right now. And we'll be moving forward with more Giants news as it breaks right now. I've actually read from Art Stapleton, who great Giants beat reporter. I know you guys all know this. I don't need to reiterate that. I was actually supposed to join him on his podcast yesterday, but my work schedule right now is not conducive to that at all. It was tough enough to find time for this. So I'm happy I did though, because we don't miss time. The big blue banter, we don't miss baby. But I think Art Stapleton made an interesting point today where the Giants are kind of in a holding period right now, as far as improving the roster, because they're trying to figure out what to do with James Bradbury. And according, you know, this is not Art reporting this. This is Art speculating that the Giants are in some ways playing, you know, teams are playing chicken and they're not necessarily jumping at the bit or chomping at the bit to trade for Bradbury. And that puts the Giants in a tough spot because they don't want to fully cut him. They would love to get something of that. And Bradbury should return something, right? Like Bradbury's put such good, Bradbury had unreal tape in 2020 and not, not as amazing, but still pretty damn good tape in 2021. No, he's not a man guy who's going to, he's going to get beat sometimes by speedy guys, but he also shows insane savvy, insane ability to get his hands on footballs and redirect tip intercept and change plays great at the contact, you know, at the catch point, he's made some high point. I've seen him high point, some interceptions on the giants where I'm like, damn, he looked like a receiver on that play. There are two that come to mind. I think one was versus the bears and why I, I can't remember the other one, but um, you might remember it, Nick, but point being, he has, he has the skill set. He has the ability. And so he should get something in return. Like I know his contract's big, but they should be able to get a four out of this at worst. And so I feel like they're in that holding period, kind of just waiting for a team to give them a mid round pick for Bradbury. Yeah. I think that the rest of the NFL has the giants testicles in a vice grip when it comes to this, because they realize the giants are in a position where they kind of want to unload this contract. So they're just waiting it out and then hoping they can sign them. But all it takes is one of those teams who is a little bit more desperate and might not be as desirable of a, of a landing spot to secure James Bradbury. It's just, do you really want to part ways with, it's probably going to be like a fourth round pick, maybe a four and six. I'm not really hundred percent certain on the compensation, but we're going to miss Bradbury. The giants still need to address this cap space situation. And I would hate it for that to happen through just releasing. Cause that's just such a waste. Yeah. You're right. It would suck, but it might be the reality that they're, that they've put themselves in. Not they, this is not a Joe Sheen issue. This is obviously the, 
I don't, I don't, I, well, I might get to the point where I Voldemort his ass and I just don't even say his name because I hate him so much. I don't hate him as a human being. I remember I actually passed him once in the hallway and he was nice to me uh, when I was covering the Giants, Daniel Jones' first start, <laughs> a home start, his first home start. But man, was he negligent as a manager and of, a, of this roster. But anyway, back to this, back to the Giants, back to the now, back to the Joe Shane Giants. I agree with you. I feel like we're taking steps in the right direction. Everybody have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. Go Giants. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.